Welcome to Cabana Chats, a podcast about writing and community brought to you by The Resort, an international community of writers based in Queens, New York City. I'm your host, Catherine Lasota. In this episode of the podcast, I get to talk with the incredible Eleanor Whitney. In a way, I never sat down to say, I'm going to write a book about community. I just had this question in my mind of like, what is my feminist practice now? How does that kind of square with the ideals I had as a teenager? Where is there a space for sort of gritty rawness in this very mediated world? And that is the book that came out. Eleanor Whitney is a writer, editor, community builder, and content strategist. She writes nonfiction essays and stories that fuse her lived experience with critical thought and feminist cultural analysis. Her first two books, Quit Your Day Job and The Quit Your Day Job Workbook, are practical field guides for starting a creative business. Her most recent book, Riot Woman, was recently published by Microcosm Publishing. Eleanor and I talked about her history in the zine community, about living in rural areas and in cities, and about the importance of walking and also having conversations with people that sometimes lead to new writing ideas. We had a really fun conversation and I look forward to sharing it with you. I am here today on the podcast with Eleanor Whitney. And Eleanor, I'm so excited you're here. Thank you for doing the Cabana Chats podcast. And just as we get started, and I also hear a a seven train squealing by outside my window, because here I am in Queens. um, uh, I'd like to talk to our guest as we start about where you are in the world. And if you could tell us a little bit about yourself um, and what you do outside of writing, just to give context for your life and our conversation. Um, You already know that I'm next to a seven train. So let's hear um, how you're doing. And thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, you know, sipping my drink with my umbrella in it as we speak. I'm I'm joking. I'm actually drinking water. I'm uh, right now in the high desert of California, not far from Joshua Tree National Park. So it's morning <laughs> for me. So so no umbrella drinks quite yet today. I also live in Brooklyn in Sunset Park, and I've lived there almost 20 years. And I divide my time between the two places, which is my middle-aged dream come true. I'm in my early 40s, and I grew up in Maine and moved to New York City for college in 2001. And And outside of writing, I do more writing. (laughs) I am by trade a content marketer, though I began my career as an arts administrator, museum educator, and programmer, and used to work for the Brooklyn Museum and the New York Foundation for the Arts, among other institutions, before transitioning into the tech industry in community building and marketing almost a decade ago. So... 
Outside of that, I love, uh, as many people do, uh, hiking and animals and gardening and plants, and also have been involved in some of the mutual aid and community organizing efforts in my neighborhood in Sunset Park. It's very important to me uh, to bring that perspective to my work. So that's a little bit about me. And I'm also a creative nonfiction student at Queens College, getting my MFA. And I also hold a degree from Baruch College, a master's in public administration, which I've done very little with, but I do know how to make a great sp- spreadsheet. And uh, then important. I went to, it is very important. And I went to undergrad at uh, Eugene Lang College, which is part of the new school and studied uh, race, ethnicity, and post-colonial studies, as well as education. Wow. Awesome. Fascinating. Thank you. Um, I am sure that all of these aspects of your history come into play and influence your writing as well. And I was hearing you talk about your interests and that there are interests that a lot of people probably share. Um, I also like to hike, but I know a lot of people who don't (laughs) like to hike. Um, Apparently, I have a reputation among my friends, and I've really tried to really underestimate (laughs) the difficulty of trails. Some friends will recall a birthday hike where I was like, no, 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 you just hike up to this ridge, and then it's flat, and it's totally easy. It was not totally easy. There's lots of up and down on the ridge. I am really grateful they didn't mutiny. And just the other day, I told my friend, like, oh, the hardest part of this hike is over. And it really wasn't. So I really need to work on my optimism bias when it comes to trails. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you're optimistic. Um, We all have our biases for sure. Uh, But you mentioned that you uh, split your time between Brooklyn and the desert. And Speaking of walking, this is something that I found that we walk so much in New York City and then I, I don't know about you, but I'll go somewhere else and um, and I'll like map it out and it'll say it's only a 15 minute walk, but I don't realize that I'm not in as walkable a situation perhaps as I was or I'm having to cross a highway or, you know, these this, this walking mentality. I don't know if that speaks to you at all as somebody who spent a lot of time in New York. Absolutely. Uh, When I first went to LA, my friends were like, stop insisting that you can walk there. I was like, it's only a mile. It's fine. They're like, we're just going to pick you up. Like, stop it. But I think living in a rural area and I'm from Maine, I grew up in Maine, which I think is also important. uh, I realize I have to consciously walk. Like I can't walk to the store or walk to see a friend or very few options here. So I notice in, whereas in New York, I'm just walking to go about my life, uh, here in the desert, I, it's more like going on a hike or going on a walk and really forcing myself out to do that, which I think in terms of writing is also when I do a lot of thinking and processing and let ideas kind of come because it quiets your mind a little. So I need to make sure I have that time because that's actually how I work through like problems in my writing or just challenges in life in general. And if I don't have that, I, I kind of get stuck. Yeah, no, totally. I hear you on the, the walking and, and thinking and working through problems. And that's, that's a very solo kind of part of the writing experience, right? Um, that walking and, and being maybe alone with your thoughts in that way, maybe in silence, even in a more rural area. Um, and this is a 
podcast about writing and community. So I think it's good. No, I think it's good to mention these things that we do by ourselves as writers. But then you could say, okay, great. So you do a lot of your work with writing all by yourself. Where does community come into play? Like, why is that important? So you to say, you know, you maybe you generate ideas or solve problems. Is that something that you find that can also happen with other people? Have you generated writing ideas with other people? Can you give some examples of that? Yeah, 100%. I think it's kind of a give and take because I do also feel there's only so far I can go by myself, whether that's writing or just thinking. And of course, I have, as you said, my own biases, my own perspectives, my own patterns of how I always approach a problem or solve it or the things I like to do in writing and the stuff I like to write about. So I think community comes in, you know, of course, I think it comes in when I'm ready to share something to get feedback or I'm really stuck and I want some guidance in terms of revision or if I'm just like, does this idea land like like at all? Is this only interesting to me or is there something more here that other people can get? So I think that's where community comes in, at least from a revision or writing standpoint. But I think community is a lot more organic than that when it comes to idea generation. I just find that not just with writers, but just with people in my life, if I keep bringing up a certain idea or something's obsessing me or bothering me, or I keep talking about it, that's sort of a sign that that is something that I might want to write about and explore further. But also just different perspectives are really, really important. And learning where people get their energy and ideas from and what is bothering them and what's important to them is really important. So whether that's just, you know, casual conversations or I've been doing a lot of walking and talking with people during the pandemic as a socialization, socialization, a way to socialize. Um, And I guess socialize myself um, because I did get used to being extremely solitary. And then also I think in more quote unquote formal or official community settings, whether that's a classroom or a writing group or some kind of affinity, creative accountability group, anything like that is also really great just for getting new ideas and pushing your own ideas forward. That's very cool. Uh, You mentioned walking and talking. Are you physically with another person walking and talking? Are you on a phone call while you're walking? How does that look? Yeah, I like to meet up with people uh, to walk and talk. So the other night I met a new friend who's an herbalist and meditation guide and we went through for a sunset hike and watched the moon rise and it was really magical. But also in Brooklyn, I live by Greenwood Cemetery, which is a very large historic cemetery with a lot of big, tall trees. And it's a beautiful place to walk both solo and with a person. So during the pandemic, I was meeting a lot of friends there. It was a safe way and a really nice contemplative way to socialize. So I still walk there almost every day when I'm in Brooklyn and try to include people in that (laughs) as well. That's awesome. That's nice. And it's been, I have to say, just in New York at the time of this recording, really lovely weather. So walks are where it's at, <laughs> especially this week. We're getting our week of amazing fall right now. Um, oh, man, and I'm missing it. But um, yeah, it's hey. like this is the weather I wait for all year. <laughs> <laughs> You'll it, it will come and go and, you know, 
climate change, who knows what will, how much fall will have. I mean, let's not go there. This is a podcast where we're going to try not to get too dark, I think. Um, <laughs> we'll try. Uh, but you also mentioned something I thought was really interesting about if you bring up some of the th- same things over and over again within your community, you start thinking, maybe this is something I want to write about. And I wonder, are you aware yourself that you are bringing things up over and over? Or does your community reflect that back to you? How do you notice that? I try to bring a level of self-awareness. I'm a very chatty person and I'm someone who doesn't naturally have a lot of a filter. So I try to be really self-aware of, especially as a white woman, like how much space I'm taking up in a conversation. You know, am I just talking about something to talk about it? Am I actually engaging in the conversation? So I try to bring that self-awareness and through that, I'll be like, wait a minute, I'm talking about this again, or this is the thing on my mind again. I'm also in therapy, so that helps me cultivate that awareness. Um, But I think too, if it's just like, oh, we've been talking about this subject or sharing like articles or information about the subject, I think it just happens naturally. Or someone will say, oh, I've been thinking about this or reading about this. And I'll think like, oh, me too. You know, so it's just where that energy tends to go, I think. I mean, just as an example, uh, a project I'm working on now is really investigating how white women especially have written about the California high desert and what their relationship historically or our relationship historically has been, especially compared to the Native inhabitants, Native Americans whose land this is. And it just started because my neighbor, who I walk with a lot, brought up, oh, have you read this woman, Mary Austin? She wrote about the desert, you know, about a century ago, and I wasn't aware of this writer. And, you know, then I started just learning more about them and we were sharing information. Oh, have you heard of this person? Have you heard of that person? I wonder why I can or can't find these books. You know, what else was going on? So in that way, it became very organic and has grown into a larger and larger project for me. That's awesome. That's a really terrific example, too, of just having conversations with people who bring things to your awareness that then can become writing projects. So that's that's fantastic to hear um, that example. Thank you for that. You, you had mentioned early in our conversation that you had this series of different jobs that you have an MPA, um, uh, that you have spreadsheet capabilities, which I know a lot of writers <laughs> use spreadsheets for many different things. But um, I wonder if through all of those different jobs and everything that if you were writing and what your writing practice looked like, because I noticed you published a book called Quit Your Day Job. And if you were working <laughs> on that while working these other jobs or what the connection is there, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I've had many different approaches to writing practice and many different writing communities as well. So to back way up, (laughs) in my late teens, I discovered zines, which are small self-published magazines. And I began publishing zines as a way to get my writing out to the world and especially to other young women uh, and or other young people, not only women, who are interested in the topics I was interested in, which was feminism and um, coming out as queer and just developing, you know, a 
consciousness around social justice issues, the intersection of, you know, racism, sexism, homophobia, class, how that, you know, impacted our identities, how that impacted how we moved through the world, all of these ball of issues, as well as being really passionate fans of uh, Riot Girl and post-Riot Girl, I guess, music, like bands like Sleater Kinney and Bikini Kill, Team Dresh, folks like that. So for me, it was like writing, I was really writing for myself, but also for that community. And that was really my audience. But what was really amazing about doing zines and publishing zines, and I'd also done more formal kind of writing community. I'd gone to like young writers camps and things like that. Whoa, 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 back beats. up, back up, back up. What is young writers camp? <laughs> there, I guess there's summer programs. Um, one I did was at Bates College in Maine. It was week long. And I think it was mostly for kids from Maine, if I remember who else was there. And I, I just remember really like another girl was like really into Elliot Smith. And I was like, oh my God, you know who Elliot Smith is? Who was a, you know, singer, songwriter, uh, rock musician who passed away in the early 2000s. But he was part of that Northwest scene I liked. And, um, and then I did one at Lewis and Clark College. So I think they're often connected to universities or colleges. And it's really the writing workshop model that I'd say we have in the MFA program where you have writing prompts and you do writing and then you share it and you workshop it and maybe you do some readings and you go to author talks. And uh, it was it was really great, but I don't think I had too many, you know, kind of like lasting writer friends from that because they're very diverse programs, you know, though I did meet my RA at the Lewis and Clark program became and is still my friend and roommate when I moved to Portland, Oregon for a year before starting college. So these things do connect, but they were also, you know, into music and that's how we really connected. But yeah, so I'd done those, but I really felt like I found my audience and community through other zine writers. But that led me actually in this sort of roundabout way to my job, because my first jobs, because I realized I really loved uh, making things and I really loved organizing events. So I helped start the Portland Zine Symposium in Portland, Oregon uh, in 2001 with a group of other zine publishers. And it's grown and morphed and continued in various forms to this day, which is really exciting. I Fantastic. stepped away from it in yeah, it's really it's really proud. I mean, I stepped away from it in like 2004, but just the fact that it can keep going and people are still passionate about creating a space for self-publishers to share their work and especially ones who are really committed to I think social justice and personal storytelling is so exciting. And I think from that I was like, oh, these sites where it's meeting a community need and it's outside of say a formal education institution, but you're sharing information, like that's where I want to be involved. So that's actually how I came to museum education because it was a way to talk about culture and ideas in a sense it wasn't a formal school but you did have like this institutional support though wow. barely because museum educators get paid nothing but uh right, and right. then I, you know and then i think just working with artists 
really brought me to wanting to help artists from a more administrative capacity because I was doing things like publishing our calendar, you know, and I needed press photos and bios from them. And people would just be like, oh, I'm going to send you this like tiny JPEG in 2005, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, what's a bio and why do I need a 1099 so you can pay me? Like, what? why does the IRS need to be involved? So I was like <laughs> realizing I was learning and explaining these things. And then when I went to the New York Foundation for the Arts, that really was my job, was to help people kind of fundraise and in doing so present themselves in a way that they could hopefully find support for their projects. Of course, there's very little arts funding, as you are very aware of in this country. And I think (laughs) that ultimately burned me out on it. You know, that there just is not the kind of support that artists need. So when I wrote Quit Your Day Job, which was my first book, I actually pitched it to a publisher from Portland, Oregon, who I'd known from zines and had built this small publishing company that had been through many iterations and bumps in the road, but still surviving. And I said, hey, I have all this knowledge just from working these jobs, and I'd really love to share it with this community of not just artists, but like punks, zine makers, you know, folks that wouldn't even necessarily consider themselves artists or small business owners or entrepreneurs. I think that has really changed in the culture. I'm talking 2010 here. You know, people are less scared of these ideas and these terms. Um, But we've also all had to become brands within the past decade as well. So just wanting to break (laughs) break down those those things and make them accessible and share what I'd learned and what I'd learned from the amazing arts organizations I'd gotten to work with uh, through my work at NIFA. So uh, I wrote that first book and it was, it's a how-to book. And I had been getting my MPA at the same time because at that point I thought, oh, I want to continue this career in arts administration. But like I said, I really got burned out on it and I loved the community. I was part of there, but um, I really felt like I needed to do something where I could continue to afford to live in New York City and not feel so depleted and burnt out. So I have not answered your question about writing No, you have in a way, actually. (laughs) Allow me to reflect back to you because I think that you have and you maybe don't even realize that you have answered it in a certain way. I was asking about the creation of this uh, Quit Your Day Job book and workbook while you were also working day jobs and how that came to be. And what I heard from you was this kind of history of working in in the zine community in riot girl culture um, where there's this real sense of community and sharing and and filling a need in the Portland Zine mm-hmm. Festival that you got started um, which also keys into what you were talking about with you know there's not a lot of maybe financial resources for the arts um, but we need to resource each other in other ways by providing things that we can to our community that we feel we have to offer creating a festival or putting together information that we've gathered on the job to help other people. So in a way, I think you did answer how right. that question connected to your jobs. Well, well, thank you. I think within that too, the shift from zines to not writing zines and looking for writing outlets in other places. You know, I tried my hand at freelancing. I did a lot of music writing because that was sort of an easy in. But I think I realized, one, I'm not a great journalist. <laughs> and I'm I'm also, there's 
unfortunately, it's very hard to make a sustainable career as like a culture or a music journalist. And I just was like, you know, I don't really think this is like where my writing shines. I love doing interviews and profiles and bios, but I really want to do writing that takes time. And I am a slow, slow essay writer, you know, things. And I think many of us are, you know, I'll start something and I'll, you know, I'll be obsessed and passionate and then I'll just kind of put it down and walk away and then find it on my Google drive because I need to do something, you know, and I'm like, Oh, this, you know? So I think (laughs) it just, it's, it's, I realized like, okay, in terms of my own writing, this sort of journalism or also doing a lot of like how-to blogs and creative business blogging. It was great, but I just really hit my limit with it too. I think I was like, I don't have anything new to say here, (laughs) you know, but it was helpful to build a community around that first book. And I think I did not end up quitting my day job, but writing that book did lead me to a new day job, which is doing community building and content marketing within the tech space. So that was sort of a surprising outcome of that book in writing that book. So I think as I think about writing community, it really extends to just community and building our lives for me. It isn't so separate from my daily life. So, but I think in, in doing a job that's a little more financially sustainable, it actually opened me up to be able to focus more on, I guess we call the creative writing. So then I was able to start taking workshops at Sackett Street and often my work paid for them because I was doing writing as part of my job. So if you can find a job with professional development support, (laughs) that is incredible. And I realize not everyone has this privilege, but it's something if you are working a day job, you might not even realize is available to you, you know? So don't be afraid to ask the question. And I think that was when I started to sort of pursue more of a I guess we'd call it like a formal writing community. And I I don't want to really make those distinctions, but I guess we could say more focused on the act of revision of, of traditional craft. If we can even talk about craft, which I know is a big issue. (laughs) That's a whole other follow-up. I don't want to touch it. But I'm glad you're bringing, (laughs) yeah, I'm I'm glad you're bringing all of this up. It's something that comes up a lot in this podcast and something I also believe myself is that there's not these necessarily distinct communities or distinct, like this is my writing, this group, this is my, this group, this is whatever uh, part of my community. That's why I like to talk about all these different parts of your life because um, community uh, has an impact on our writing, even if it's not a direct impact on our writing, right? Even if it's not a, Mm -hmm. I'm exchanging writing with you and we're going to give each other some feedback or, you know, um, um, stuff like that. So I really appreciate hearing about all of this. It's great. Um, you also mentioned therapy, which has also come up in this podcast many times before, many writers in therapy. And if our therapists aren't part of our communities, I mean, I don't know, like they are, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, for me also, you know, writing, like journal writing is really therapeutic. And I think as I revise, having outlets like therapy or just friends to talk about issues with also helps me think about like, what do I need to put out in the world and what is it serving? Whereas I think doing zines, 
it was often a way to really emotionally process tough things like abusive relationships or coming out as queer. I mean, coming out as queer doesn't need to be a tough thing, but, you know, it just, it's like rectifying your identity and figuring things out when you're a young person. It's not, it can be really hard. Uh, so, but then I think as, again, I had different outlets, what I needed and from my writing and then the writing community I was involved in also has changed. But it is interesting because my latest book, Riot Woman, really is in a way a product of this zine community and the communities I was part of as a teenager and in my early 20s around zines and music, as well as later uh, my community in Sunset Park doing a lot of activism during the last presidential administration starting in 2016 and really thinking about how that impacts how I practice feminism and how I move through the world as a creative person. Uh, so I think in a way, I never sat down to say, I'm going to write a book about community. I just had this question in my mind of like, what is my feminist practice now? How does that kind of square with the ideals I had as a teenager? Where is there a space for sort of gritty rawness in this very mediated world? And that is the book that came out. But it really is about community for me, even though it is my personal take on the impact it has had on my life. Right. Yes. And thank you. I was just about to ask, as we're getting a little close to the end of our time here, I wanted to ask how your um, past experiences have informed Riot Woman, your most recent book. Um, I'm really glad that you mentioned that and to hear about what came into Riot Woman and the creation of it. Um, and I want to say that when you mentioned activism during the last presidential administration beginning in 2016, my heart started racing a little bit. I still have a bodily memory of that time. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. <laughs> but yes, I appreciate how you framed it um, in the, these, 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 the language you used to talk about it. So thank you for that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's great to hear about Riot Woman. And now that Riot Woman is out in the world and we are getting close, unfortunately, to the end of our time on this episode together, but um, it seems like Riot Woman came so naturally out of the different community work that you were doing and how you were thinking about writing and a lot of pieces of your own past and talking with people in your life. Now that it's out in the world, um, what are your hopes for community moving forward and how is this piece of your own life in the form of this book out in the world, uh, do you think, or is it too early to ask, affecting how you want to think about writing moving forward in connection to community? Yeah, I love that question. And I think one thing I'm excited about is just like, I had no idea that putting my first book out, Quit Your Day Job, would lead me to a new career path. I knew things in my life had to change, but I didn't know how. And it it kind of showed me the way through the people I met and talked to in the course of writing and then promoting that book. So my hope for Riot Woman is just, I'm ready to be surprised, universe. You know, like we've been stuck at home with this pandemic and I think we all need a little, uh, or I definitely need a little um, surprise in my life. I, I need to, and, and, and a good surprise, I hope. Not a bad surprise, okay? <laughs> um, but I think too, it has been for me thinking creatively about how to promote it and that has me 
meant connecting with other writers who are you know, working through similar themes, either that I know from back in the in the zine days or folks I'm just meeting now who have been on parallel or different paths. So that's really exciting is just getting to have conversations like this one. And I just hope it's a way into those conversations and a way to connect with either people I may have brushed elbows with in the past, but now we have, you know, 20 years since we've seen each other and we can compare notes and talk about where we are in our lives or meet new folks. And I'm just hoping it gives me momentum and accountability as a writer to keep writing, you know, and to, and to work on the next book and the next project, because I think it's rewarding. I worked on this book for seven years on and off to say like, yeah, there's a light at the end of the tunnel and you will get to share this with people and not just the amazing people who sat with me and revised it in so many Work, writing workshops and the editors who worked on it. So I'm just hoping it's an invitation to say like writing can feel really solitary, but it also is about building community at the same time. And that's going to make it stronger. And it also means the book isn't just a means to an end. And to me, that's like really, really important. It's really just a way to open conversation and deepen connections. Here, here to opening conversations and deepening connections. And thank you for mentioning that you were writing it for seven years. I think it's always helpful for people to hear about that kind of time frame and to realize that books can be long processes and that is okay. And sometimes even longer, really seriously. So oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And also, yes, yes to good surprises from the universe. That would be lovely. Um, I want to say that this conversation has been a really lovely gift from the universe. So oh. thank you, Eleanor, for being here on the Cabana Chats podcast. It's been really terrific chatting with you today. Thank you so much for having me. And as you like to say, cheers to you. This has been great. <laughs> cheers to you, Eleanor. that, dear friends, brings us to the end of our episode of Cabana Chats with Eleanor Whitney. You can find out more about Eleanor by visiting her website, eleanorcwhitney.com. If you'd like to spend more time with us here in the Cabana, I encourage you to join our free online resort network. You can do that by going to community.theresortlic.com. We may be doing uh, podcast episodes every other week instead of every week for a while. So just to make sure you don't miss a single episode, I encourage you to subscribe to Cabana Chats wherever you listen to podcasts. We look forward to seeing you at our next episode. Our podcast editor is Craig Ely, and our music is by Pat Irwin. Thank you to our resort assistant, Nadine Santoro, for her help with transcripts. You can find full transcripts of every episode inside our free online network. I'm your host, Catherine Lasota, and I look forward to seeing you next time in the cabana. <laughs>